The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think, feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, the experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And once again, this is new. This week is no exception. We've got a terrific guest. You're really going to enjoy the, my conversation. And today we're going to talk about making action films. I've got writer-director Jesse V. Johnson as our special guest today. He has uh, directed over 30 films, most of them in his uh, action genre. He's got a new one just came out called One Ranger. It stars Thomas Jane and D- John Malkovich. And he's got six more in pre-production with some top-level talents, and I think you're really going to enjoy conversation because we're going to talk about the One Ranger movie, of course, but we're also going to talk about Jesse's background because he started out as a stuntman, and I like his personal story because he was really really willing to do anything necessary to get into position to where he could get behind the camera and to make the movies and tell the stories he wanted to tell, and even when times get t- got tough, in 2008, and he couldn't find the work as a director. He got back out there in front of the camera as a stunt person again, and eventually found his way back on the other side of the camera once again as one of the most uh, uh, busiest action film directors working the beat today. And again, he's got 30 films under his belt. He's got six more on the way. And today we're going to talk about One Ranger. And it's about a story about this kind of grizzled veteran Texas Ranger who finds himself involved in an international terrorist plot. He ends up over in London working with a, a British agent to try to stop a terrorist act that has to do with um, Big Ben. So very, very interesting story. Jesse's an interesting guy. His personal story is interesting. And I love spreading out uh, the topics and things we cover here on Guys Guys Radio. And really, if you listen to the show, you'll find out a lot of the issues about um, making movies and how how does a director uh, work on a fight scene, if you will? So many action scenes in movies today, and you always wonder, like, how much of this is planned and choreographed, and how do they actually do this and make it part of the story? And you don't want it to be gore; you want it to be woven. You want the action, and some would call it violence, woven into the story. So it's not really about glorifying this stuff, but it's about these are real people and real tough stuff that happens. And when you're telling stories about vengeance and revenge and retribution, you're going to find yourself um, with some action movies. So there's going to be some fisticuffs and some uh, busted kneecaps and some bullets flying. But on Guys Guys Radio, what I try to do is find guests that have something new to discuss with us and some information to share. So Jesse's going to tell us about his own personal story, how he made it in the business, and also what it's like to direct and work with some big-name actors and tell a great story. And I think you're really going to enjoy our, our conversation. So look, really looking forward to it. So let's get to it now. Jesse V. Johnson, our special guest on Guys Guys Radio. It's Guys Guy Radio. 
Okay, guys, guys, radio, we're in the interview portion of our show, and today we're going to talk about films, and in particular, action films, with one of the top action film directors working there today. His name is Jesse V. Johnson. Let me tell you a little bit about him. After nearly 30 feature films as a director and another several dozen credits as a stunt performer and coordinator on major Hollywood blockbusters, Jesse Johnson is wrapping up work on no fewer than three features to be released this year, and he's got six, I believe, in pre-production. We're going to talk about a movie I saw the other night, which is coming out, called The One Ranger, with Thomas Jane and John Malkovich are in it. As a, it's a period action. He's also got, excuse me, a period action adventure, Boudica, with Olga Korolenko, who's been in Quantum of Solace and so many other movies that are coming out now. And also, he's got a CIA spy thriller, Chief of Station, again starring uh, Olga and Aaron Eckhart, and he just continues to bring new life, energy, and imagination to the tricky world of action-oriented film working, filmmaking. Jesse grew up in the UK, fell in love with the cinematic art form through watching great Westerns and classics that gave him a unique sense of storytelling, possibilities using some of the templates from the American West. Jesse says, my heroes are John Ford, Sam Peckinfall, Anthony Mann, Bud Budicher, and their films reflect characters pushed to the very limits of their endurance, uh, universal themes, and they're timeless. And this can be seen in the, the movie I saw the other night called One Ranger, featuring Thomas Jane as a modern-day Texas Ranger who's recruited by British intelligence to stop a potential terrorist threat in the UK. So welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Jesse B. Johnson. Forgive me for the long intro, but your work is fantastic, and you've got so many films that you've done, and and then you have set up. It's just amazing. So congratulations, and welcome to Guys Guys Radio. Thank you for having me, Robert. Very, very honored to be here. Well, let's start. uh, Let's get right to it. So you've done over 30 feature films, including White Elephant with Bruce Willis, uh, which I recently saw, Debt Collectors, Avengement, Hell Hath No Fury, many, many more um, but you began as a stunt performer. So tell us about your transition, if you will. How'd you get into the stunt work? And then how did you get behind the camera? Uh, very, very simply and sort of rather rather uh, craven story, to be honest. I started as a, uh, a PA, like everyone did, uh, an assistant to the assistant to the assistant, making cups of coffee. I learned that to make bad coffee was the best way to get out of making coffee and move forward and get onto the floor. But uh, uh, I did some very big shows. I, I was desperate to be a director, you know, from the get-go. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to make my own films. I was obsessed with directors as a young man, obsessed with, you know, the sort of Ray Harryhausen and Ridley Scott of everything and, and wanted to do that. Uh, you know, putting that into practice without film school, with, you know, I, I, it's a long time ago when I started. I'm 50 years old, so it, it's it, it, it's incomprehensible now, but there wasn't really the same kind of uh, route to making movies that there is now. There wasn't really an industry uh, to speak of in the UK. Though, you know, the films that were coming out of the UK when I was young were, were sort of... You know, uh old country houses and and people from the 1800s and it was merchant ivory and it was very much the kind of i I have a respect for those kind of films but they were not the films that i wanted to make they were not the films that i wanted to watch uh and and my friends wanted to watch so i i felt like an an anathema in the uk uh i worked internationally as a assistant director because that's the best way to get into movies everyone wants an assistant director they don't get paid much and they do everything so that's a high turnaround so I was able to sort of talk my way into doing that uh I I 
got a bit of a reputation for being able to take on big crowd scenes. Uh, it was something I enjoyed doing. I saw the creativity in taking these crowds of people and make it interesting in the background and then also having to match the continuity. So the crowd has to be in the same place as the actors are passing their mark and saying their dialogue. Yeah, so that when the you know the cameraman changes lenses, the editor can then cut it together and it all sort of matches. So you'd watch very carefully. You'd have headsets, and it was a very integral part that they actually let you know someone you know who's an entry level position taking control of. It's one of those strange sort of things, and you're paid almost nothing, but it's an enormous uh, responsibility. Uh, on Shawshank Redemption, I think the biggest day we had was something like 2,500 extras, you know, but it was averaging around about 100 a day. And that's a lot of people. you got to get them through the works, makeup and wardrobe. So you're, you're dealing with the logistics of production. You're, you're dealing with the creativity and the communication of being a director as you're, you're matching them in the background and talking to them, making sure they understand you. Uh, and then you're getting them off the clock early and getting them through the works and, and on the bus home, uh, back working with your production hat on. So it's a, it's a fabulous way to learn filmmaking. It's not a great way to learn directing, but it's a great way to learn filmmaking. It should really, it's it's a misnomer. You should really be called an assistant director, not a, a assistant producer, not an assistant director. But it's it's a great thing to do. And I did that for quite a few films, uh, How to Make an American Quilt, uh, Mortal Kombat, where we had two or three hundred extra you know martial artists uh uh, uh mr holland's opus which was set in schools mm -hmm. you know in the 60s okay. so we had, you know we took over school in portland oregon for the summer and had you know between 60 80 and 200 300 extras so it's a very good way of learning but very rapidly i was realizing i was running out of money because it pays terribly and if you want to write and you want to direct you have to take meetings and you have to have time off you know writing it i wrote scripts in the evenings but then i found i wasn't sleeping you know so uh I, I, what i was doing i was also signing out the stuntmen i was realizing what these guys were making every day and they were making in a day what i was making in a week before they'd even done a stunt before the, you know, before the stunt adjustment the the bonus is added that's their, their their base rate was the same as my more than my weekly rate and they were getting health insurance and pension and residuals and it's like you know, i'm working like a dog you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm sleeping three four five hours a night falling asleep, you know, over my breakfast cereal, going to sleep fully clothed because you you know, don't have time to do anything as an assistant director. I'm very, very uh, sympathetic to them now when I work with them. But but I did that and it's like, this is ridiculous. And I, I want to become a director and I don't see the way of breaking this mold and getting to the next level. So I, I jettisoned, I became a stuntman. I got into the union uh, through my own means and, and uh, you know, I hung my shingle out as a stuntman. I trained for that in, in the UK. I'd been a cadet and a martial artist and all that sort of stuff, rode motorcycles. And so it wasn't too difficult to, to also knowing what's required of them on set very intimately as an assistant director. It was not enormously difficult to revisit those disciplines and get back into that. The martial arts was difficult because you leave that for a few years, you come back, it hurts. And it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> you don't bounce quite the way we, we, we did, but it was fun. And I got back in and, uh, and stunts were very good to me. It was a very, very good position to be in. It was a great place to watch the greatest directors working. I was honoured. I, I am. I have been very lucky to work with some of the best in the game. Watch how they deal with scenes, with problems, with actors, which are all very similar. Uh, and also gave me time to write in between gigs because the bills were paid, uh, and and I could I could write and I could take meetings and I could do all those things that require 
becoming a director it's it's extraordinarily difficult it's very competitive now you can't it's not even a case of hanging a resume out and saying i'm a i'm a director here's my resume you know uh even at my uh humble level i you know we're we're, we're making pitch decks you know which takes two or three days of, of of working with a graphic designer we're making sizzle reels which means working with an editor you know to to get a job can cost seven to ten thousand dollars just to create your online ideas for that film and get in there so it's it's a tricky you know and you're up against kids at film school who have that you know have, have, right. a, have a very you know doing all that themselves or getting their friends to do it pro bono so it's you know and you can't say that's not fair you, you just have to literally throw your hat in the ring and say okay i'm going to do that too i'll do whatever it takes uh and so it's expensive and it's time consuming to to get projects off the ground to to convince someone to trust you with five ten twenty million dollars uh and more so you know, uh, stunts was the perfect thing. It was fab, uh, and for, from a purely craven mercenary point of view, it worked. But also from a uh, from a uh, uh, a cerebral uh, point of view, it was it was very good as well. Because as a stunt coordinator or a stunt man, you're talking to an actor, and you're winning their trust. You're talking to them like a normal person. You can't be nervous and say, "Oh my God, I grew up watching you on TV. I don't know what to say. Can you? Can I take a quick selfie with you?" This kind of attitude will get you off a film very, very quickly. You'll be done. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, you'll be, you'll certainly be swapped around before lunchtime. You know, the actor will have a quick whisper to the producers. Bam, that's the end of that. So you have to talk to them in a, in a, in a, in a particular way. And and people say, "Oh no, just talk to them like they're anyone." You can't talk to an actor like they're anybody. That will get you switched around eventually in a couple of days as well. <laughs> It's, it's a it's a it's a specific way. Yeah, there's a famous you know, there's a sort of saying amongst filmmakers that, that you know the lead actor wants to be talked to like anybody, right up to the point that you talk to him like anybody. <laughs> he'll say that he'll say, "Oh, just talk to me like it," you know. But but there is a particular protocol that's in place, a, a you know deference that you have when you talk to these guys. But it's not fanboy. It's not giddy. And 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 then. On top of that, you're giving them information that may keep them safe, may save their life. Uh, and so you have to be firm. You know, yeah, you want to, you know, hit the three guys with the sword because it makes you look tougher. But if you hit that third guy, there's a bomb going off behind him. And it's going to blind you. So and you have to be firm enough and 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 understandable enough and, and be able to communicate that to him that he understands, even though his ego wants him to hit the third one. And he's used to getting everything he wants on set. You've got to keep him safe. So. That's a long answer to your question, but stunting for me was a phenomenally good way to learn the basics of talking with actors, which is directing. That's what it is at the end of the day. It's not choosing camera angles. It's not storyboarding. It's not being a whiz uh, with how much film history you know. It's how well you communicate with those magical, delicate, sensitive souls we call actors. Okay, and the second fantastic, the third fantastic thing about stunting was that I got to work with these fabulous directors and watch them in one period of a year. Where I, unfortunately I had to go back to stunting because you know the the two thousand eight stock market crash wrecked my finances, uh, and I, I had to ask for my stunt pads and bag back from someone that I had given them to, <laughs> to make that awful telephone call. Do you mind if I could borrow them back? Uh, and uh, but in that year I worked with Steven Spielberg. P.T. Anderson and Kenneth Branagh. And although there was a conflict going on inside me, which is, you know, I've gone, I've, oh my God, I've had to go back to being a stuntman and put knee pads on and hit the ground and work out in the gym every night. I was working with these incredible talents. I was watching 
what they were doing with the scene, how they were approaching the producers, how they were approaching putting the scene together, what their priorities were, which were always performance, 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 not, not getting the script done, not getting it done quickly, not, not how can we get out of this as quick as possible, how can I assert my ideas onto the cast, always performance-driven, and that's why their films are so wonderful. And I walked away from that with a, a new lease on directing as well. And I think if you look at my directing yes. up to 2008 and then from 2008 onwards, there's a very, very clear difference in quality because I was an indie director who was desperately trying to make the budget work uh, and pleasing the producers, which really pleases no one because all they want is a good movie. Uh, if you say, I brought it in on time, but the movie stinks, they don't call you again. Right. So yep. there's, you know, there's always that little bit of tension and it's working. And so how do you color within the lines without being a complete pariah? Uh, and then the films after 2008, which I think were, you know, performance driven, character driven, story driven. And uh, so it was good for me. It's a wonderful place to start. A fantastic answer. So thank you. My special guest on Guys Guys Radio, the action director extraordinaire, Jesse V. Johnson. I think you put into context a lot of why your work works so well. Because watching One Ranger, your latest movie, the other night, I found the action sequences. I could feel the the punches that the lead character Thomas Jane was getting. That that felt real. And is it, there's look, I, we could go down the rabbit hole on stunting. I, I have one question about that before we move on, but I, I want to talk about the new movie and some other things. But just for the for our audience, when let's say you have a fight scene coming up, from a director's perspective, an actor's perspective, and the stunt person's perspective. What is the interaction between those three before you shoot the scene? Uh, for me, I sit and I talk with my coordinator an awful lot and my choreographer, and I, I explain what I want, what I don't want. Uh, and I, what I don't want is it usually to look like a chop socky movie. I don't want this to look like a you know Chinese kung fu movie. Uh, there's too many people who do that where you see a movie and you have the fight scenes, and they look like they're directed by a completely different person. The cameras are changing. You're looking, you know, they're being motivated by the uh, wherever the kick or the punch is landing, or, which is fine, which is great. And there's a certain type of movie that does that. They're called B movies, B with a capital B. In, in the old days, yeah. people loved B movies, but but if you do that and you decide you throw your hat into that particular arena, your film will never transcend a particular mark. Uh, and I see them more and more, and and and, and you know, and it's. Uh, it's almost becoming okay to do it now, but it is what it is. Uh, so my conversation is with the coordinator, the choreographer to start with. Uh, I'll talk with the actor. Quite often they have their own opinion of what they want. I, I've had actors say, I don't want to do anything dangerous. You take my stunt double. You make me look great. I'll throw the first punch and I'll pick him up afterwards and shake him after he's knocked out. Uh, and then you have other actors, the younger ones, the, the tougher ones who work out a lot and you know do a little bit of martial arts. And they say, I want to do everything. I want to do everything you know and i'll be in there like tom cruise and i'm you know right. I, i'm gonna do it i'll do the training i'll do what it takes and my job as a as a as a director is to say yeah fantastic that's great and then i go to my stunt team and i say okay oh this guy wants to do everything what's it going to take to train him up and make this work and the stunt mat the coordinator will usually say look it's going to be a week it'll be two weeks it'll be a month of training depending on the fitness levels the uh te technical expertise of that particular actor and how big we want to go with the fight scenes, you know? And so each each one is slightly different. Uh, at that point, I take the actor, and I'm, I usually try and introduce him myself, so I establish the hierarchy that, that I'm the boss, because <laughs> things get a little strange sometimes. And I take him it, and I... It's, it's for their own good. 
Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Napoleon said it's better to have <laughs> two bad generals than one, you know, uh, 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 one bad general than two good ones. If it's right. you need that chain of command, correct? So I'll go. I'll I'll talk through uh, with the group. We'll have a little bit of a chat, and then I'll leave. They'll start working on the choreography of the first one. At the end of that day, usually I'll the actor will call me up and say, "Dude, this is really hard work. I didn't realize." <laughs> you know, or, or this is wonderful. I absolutely adore this. You know, let's keep it going. Uh, and then I'll base my communication with the choreographer. They'll film. They'll film it. They'll film it. They'll edit little previews together for me. Uh, I'll give my notes. Uh, and usually by the end of the week, ten days, two weeks, there'll be a previs, which is like a video rehearsal of what they've you know as close as possible to what that fight will be. Uh, including the camera angles, because honestly, that saves saves a lot of sort of headaches. But a lot of the time on a fight, if the choreography is known, it's trying to work out where to put the camera, where the hits will look good, and you can lose precious time on set doing that. And it's this, it's nonsensical in this day and age where it's very quick to shoot and edit a little, you know, uh, of stuff. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. After watching One Ranger, one of the things that stood out for me, it's a good story because it's a grizzled Texas Ranger and he ends up kind of fish out of water into uh, uh, London with a British uh, agent. And together they have to foil a an IRA, an IRA uh, terrorist. And uh, so great storytelling there. But the action sequences um, were so real. Again, I could feel the punches that the lead character was taking, and and you shot them seamlessly. Where you felt as a as a the audience, you were right there in the room. Particularly when Thomas Jane was fighting, uh, kind of the henchman of the uh, antagonist, and those they had three battles. Each one escalated in terms of uh, uh, the the amount of uh, uh, what was at stake there, and leading to kind of their climactic uh, final fight. But um, great job with that. And I could tell as a as a stunt person and somebody who's been through this, you knew how to direct the actors to get the, the best performances out of them. As part of that, uh, nowadays, there's a, there's a lot of action films out there. And there's a fine line, and please take this with due respect, between um, action and you get to the point where it, some movies are now gory, uh, either like a Deadpool where it's over the top or you take John Wick 4 where it's kind of nonstop. What is you, your, your action falls right in line, integrates perfectly, in my opinion, with the stories. How do you determine how much is, is enough and how much might be too much in terms of the action as part of the story and the film? Uh, I think you nailed it. You, you answered it with your own very astute question, which was it's story driven. So if this character in the, you know, for example, you know, Ranger Tyree, who's supposed to be this grizzled lawman, who's not necessarily the greatest trained martial artist for the book. He's been trained, obviously, by law enforcement, by by the Texas Rangers. So he has a very good understanding of physical interaction with another aggressive male. But uh, but what he has, what he possesses and what I wanted to show the audience was he is that fritter that just doesn't give up very easily because you know he just once he gets a hold of it he holds on and i find that interesting and so his character reflected that throughout the whole thing we talked about this and it it was important for the fights to be to the point where you thought this guy's going to need to be in traction he's going <laughs> to right. if he keeps getting pounded you know by this 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 human locomotive <laughs> by Jess and that's what i wanted i wanted it to be just borderline yep this guy's going to go to hospital. There's no way you can go any further than this. And I wanted it to look like 
what was bringing him back each time was intestinal fortitude, just the sheer will, not only to live, but to overcome. And I've seen it in people. I've seen it in stuntmen. I've seen it in, in athletes. I've seen it in soldiers who, who you count them out and you say, there is no way this person is coming back from that. No normal person would come back from that. But you see him lift themselves up. And it's, it comes down to who's got the biggest, you know, fight in the dog, you know, mm. and it's, it's, it's something there. And I find that interesting. I find that fascinating. And I thought it would be fun to make a film around a character, in this case, a lawman who just didn't give up when he believed something was right and he owed someone's family because he'd let someone down. He, right. he, he, he was tenacious. He wasn't necessarily book smart. He was very street smart. His, his understanding of, human nature came from a, a very basic black and white upbringing and he he you know and it was a uh it was the battle to 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 get to to move the world to what he felt it should be and i i thought that's rather rather cool so to answer your question the fight scenes needed to be long long to the point mm -hmm. of almost oh come on he's not it's not going to keep going because that's what we needed to tell the story of. Of yes, they were in, in other cases, you know. Uh, and I'll take another person's film, something like Hard Times. You have this huge build-up right. where the other character is making fun of Charles Bronson right. in, in the bare knuckle ring, and he takes his shirt off. And at that point, the other fighter is like, "Oh, maybe he's not quite the old man we thought." <sighs> but still, he's very cocksure. And they ring the bell, and Charles Bronson hits him once, and it's a knockout, and it's wonderful, and it worked beautifully, and the fight scene was probably one of the best fight scenes in the movie, but it's a single punch that knocks the guy out. Right. And you realize that so much of action is not necessarily the visceral, fast-cutting, loud noises, but the build-up to that. Everyone talks about Bullet being the greatest car chase movie. The car chase itself is okay. It's an incredible half-an-hour build-up with the, with the seatbelts, with yep. Robert Laval watching from the taxi, with the other guys, with the build-up, with them you know, reappearing and then disappearing from the rearview mirror. This is what makes the car chase when it finally arrives so exciting so in answer to you how long does the sequence need to be before it's too long or too short it's it's purely driven by the story for me always uh uh i i personally think it's rather fun in this day and age to give people a lot uh i watched john wick uh the last one I've, i wasn't a terrible fan terribly big fan of the other sequels but this last one with my friend scott atkins in, i thought was so adherent to this universe that they created i found it boring for the first 40 minutes and thought the acting was terrible but then something happened where you realize they're leaning so heavily into this make-believe world where fights just go on and on and on and another person comes and another person comes that i ended up loving it i thought it was i thought it was a great gag a great comic movie you know it's, it's, it's amazing what they did with the john wick and that you know the first story was a story about you know somebody kills the guy's dog and it's vengeance and from there they have created this fantasy kind of martial arts world where and has taken over really the, the story yeah. itself and uh they've done an amazing job in terms of creating cinema how what your uh palette is for the amount of violence and how that's presented that's an individual they're very smart that's individual they taste. They, they, i think they they're very smart in that everything is cg all every single blood is cg every muzzle flash mm -hmm. is cg mm -hmm. and most of the stunt you know the horrific stunts something goes wrong with the character. And you can right. see it's a cartoon character. Even, even my eight-year-old right. kid, you know, they look at it and say, no, it's cartoons. So there's a palatability to the, to the adherent violence. They never gloat on it, which, you know, makes it almost comic book. Mm -hmm. You know, 
you have one stormtrooper dying after another, so to speak, because they're faceless hordes of, of nobodies. Uh, and this is okay. This is like kids' movie stuff. You're not making anything here that's going to, you know, profoundly move you or affect you. This is not Hemingway filmmaking or right. Hawkins okay. or John Ford, but that's okay. It's fine. Okay. It's, it, it's, it's a different, it fulfills, you know, a different uh, role, and cinema has many roles to fill. Uh, but with, with our film, we wanted obviously that same audience, but we're trying to give them a little bit of a storyline with with Thomas Jane and and his sort of background and the fact that we have a, a terrorist who's sort of having second thoughts about what on earth he's doing. Let, done with let, his life. let me let me ask you about the story itself. Uh, again, my special guest Jesse, a uh, terrific director, action director in particular, Jesse V. Johnson is my special guest on Guys Guys Radio. A lot of uh, the uh, directing and writing is about choices. Um, how did you deter- make the choices in terms of the Western, the grizzled Western veteran, the British uh, agent, as well as the antagonist, which is in this case an uh, IRA uh, uh, terrorist, if you will? That seemed I was I was fascinated by that because the the movie takes place in in Texas, Mexico, London, and then back to Mexico again. And I was wondering, well, wonder why. Jesse picked the IRA guy uh, instead of, you know, usually have the Middle Eastern bad guys and all of that is so typical. It was very atypical. It was almost like a throwback. I'm like, oh, I didn't think that would work, but it works because obviously the um, the point of where the terror could take place is in London. How did you how do you make your choices and how do you make these choices of bringing these three characters together? Well, the uh, the English cop was the English cop. And I wanted that to be just a very, very professional English uh, law enforcement agent that could work. You know, she, she, she colors within the lines and is a little more, little more straight laced. That, that I, that was the relationship I had. I was least sure about going in. I met the actor and she had a lot of ideas and brought an awful lot to it. And I thought that worked on its own sort of merits. And I thought she was extraordinarily good. Uh, Really enjoyed working with Dominic. The more interesting, to be honest, in the, in terms of the writing of the piece, was the Irish terrorist or ex-Irish terrorist, and and the reason I felt that would be interesting, I always like it when a bad guy and a good guy are, are, are quite similar and had mm-hmm. something differently in their childhood. They might have taken the other's route, and I found that a lot with a lot of the law enforcement I've talked to, uh, a lot of the, the the professional criminals I've talked to. You know, there was that point, maybe you know, at some point where they said. I was actually interested in maybe becoming a full-time soldier or going into law enforcement or doing something like that. But eventually, you know, there's, there's a reason they can't. They, they, the, the record is too awful or the money they're making is too seductive. Uh, but with the IRA, it's not about money. It's about uh, the cause. The cause. Patriotic yeah. integrity, and which isn't so dissimilar to the Texas Ranger who's following a codex of you know, yes, they followed the, the laws written, you know, Constitution, American law, but but they but there's also a codex to which they follow, which is as old as the frontier of the West, which which is slightly more interesting to me, uh, which involves having to wear you know a belt set up that's and a pair of pants and a cowboy hat, although it's quite a strict list, they're only allowed to choose from two different types and manufacturers. It's still a uniform that you would if if they stepped out of the 1880s, you you wouldn't. Think that they were out of place. You know what I mean? Uh, it's a hundred years old. So their their codex is inherently mythical, and the IRA soldier's codex is inherently mythical. He's he's talking about an Ireland for Ireland, which 
hasn't existed since the 1600s, you know, when, when the English, you know, sent all those Scottish over there, you know, that, it, it, you know, and, and the north of Ireland became basically Protestant, you know. So to, to say I want a united Ireland is as anachronistic and problematic. You know, it's been that way for almost 400 years. It's not something you flick your fingers and you, you, you take the Queen off right. their money. It's a very, very complicated thing. And a lot of these guys were very, you know, who were in the IRA were very complex individuals. You know, uh, they were there not necessarily because they saw an end in sight, but because they enjoyed causing a ruckus. <laughs> and, and and I, I like forgive that. me for laughing. But no, I, like I think it's I think it's a, it's it's as noble a cause as any. You know, you just mm. want to be an irritation to an, an empire. Mm-hmm. And, and what a noble course that is. I think it's brilliant. You know, uh, there is no real end in sight. We're just going to keep blowing things up and shooting and kidnapping and, and doing whatever we can and thinking of as many ingenious ways of getting weapons into our little island as we possibly can. And I, I find something extraordinarily romantic about that. There's a bloody minded part of me which thinks that's 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 pr- pretty incredible. You look at someone like Brendan Behan, who was one of the greatest novelists. You know, he was a, he was a child soldier with the IRA. He got caught trying to set a bomb, you know, when he was 16 and then became this wonderful writer. It, it, it's, you know, it's the, you know, it's the lost cause of romantics and, 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 right. you know, Luddites and individualists. And I, I think that's not too dissimilar to the American West in many ways. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it, it's the, the home of romance, you know, there, the American West, as we see it now, didn't really exist. It was an extraordinarily rough, dangerous place, racist, beyond all description. You know, uh, and 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 hard. You know, you 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 know, it's more Cormac McCarthy than it is. Uh, yes, you know, it's very mythical though. That's became part of the American uh, way, to way, be right? Yeah. And so I found these two backgrounds very interesting, and I wanted to, in, in, you know, embed each of the characters with that, so that when they met, there was almost a, a sort of respect there. You know, and mm-hmm. and so that that was my reason for going with the Irish okay. bad guy. I, I thought there was something, but Let I mean. Ask- could have pulled them from anywhere. You could have pulled them from Latin America. You could have pulled them from one of right. those. Okay. Um, uh, could there be a sequel to this? Because I thought the character, uh, as I watched the film, I found the, the performance of uh, Thomas Jane got stronger and stronger. At first, I was like, oh, that's Thomas Jane. And like, oh, he's trying to be a, you know, a Texas Ranger. And then I quickly forgot that. Once he got into the action, I'm like, I was completely sold. And I thought he did a terrific job. And by the end, it was like, wow, this is like a new character. I'd watch, I would watch a TV series with him. Any thoughts on continuing with that character? We we screened this film in Dallas, which is very nerve-wracking for me because sure. obviously you know, I, I I had done a TV show there called Walker Texas Ranger back in the day. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, sure. my interest in the Texas Rangers was initially, you know, fired. I'd read an awful lot about them. And it was it was very nerve-wracking to show it to a you know theater audience at the festival there. They're all all you know, Texans. Sure. They loved it. They thought it was fantastic. They wanted a sequel. They thought, uh, they said a similar thing to you at first. It was like, is he making fun of us? And then slowly as they realized it was, the conviction was there and the character lent into this so heavily, they got into it and they said, no one really speaks with quite that heavy an accent in Dallas. You know, they may do in some of the outlaying sort of West Texas towns, but certainly it was something we, we, we knew and loved and liked and it felt familiar. Right. so they liked it, and that was fun. Uh, there was a lot of talk of uh, a sequel for a little while. Lionsgate are interested. We'll see. We'll, we'll, Great, we'll, we'll, fantastic. I, I uh, you know, my my 
desire has always been to challenge myself with filmmaking, to go where I'm nervous, to go where I am uncomfortable and sometimes fail and <laughs> they're okay. That's all right. Sometimes you, you hit, you're never quite sure when you're on set of an independent movie, not a big movie, you, there's a bit, you know, you, there's a guarantee of, you know, 50 to a hundred millions in publicity and advertising. The people are going to see this film. It won't be a complete disaster. Although I did do a few of those too, but on an indie movie, uh, there's no, you don't have that blanket. This film is going to have to succeed or fail on its own merits. There will be no great publicity and advertising uh, uh, insurance policy. You know, you are going out there and either, you know, get tossed and not work against you or work against you. It may stop you getting hard ever again. You know, it's a terrifying proposition. Uh, and I like doing that. I find it, I find it uh, wonderful, exciting. And, and, and for me, Doing a sequel is a tricky thing. I, I I had I was talked into doing a sequel to a debt collector movie, uh, one of my own films. And I quite enjoyed it, but it was it was a very difficult process for me writing and rewriting that script to the point that it felt like it was something fresh and wasn't simply retreading mm -hmm. what I'd done before. Uh, which is not only dangerous artistically, it's it's toxic for a creative person sure. to, to you know you go from being a, a creative artist to being someone who is stamping out molds of, of cookies, you know, to hand out. And right. you, you've figured, you think you figured out what is people like. And so now you're just going to keep to that. And that that's terrible. That's the kiss of death. Uh, and so for me to go back and do a sequel at this point, we'll see, we'll okay. see if it, great, if it, that's if, a great if perspective. Script, that's we, a great perspective. Now yeah, uh, I, I loved, I loved TJ working with him and I really liked the character. I lived that character for a long time. It took me a long time to find financing for the film. But 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 it, it would have to be a bigger budget. It was a very difficult film to make this one as well. The name of the film, folks, is uh, One Ranger, starring Thomas Jane. Um, and you remember him from Hung and from, I, I think he played, I don't know if he played Mickey Mantle or Roger Maris, though. And he's been in a lot of, uh, a lot of great uh, stories out there. And great job by our special guest, Jesse V. Johnson. Now, Jesse, you've worked with a lot of the same folks over and over again. Let me list the ones I wrote down. John Malkovich, uh, Scott Atkins, Olga Korylenko. You've got a couple of films coming out with her. Aaron Eckhart, I think you worked with him before. And you also worked with a previous guest on Guys Guys Radio, my, uh, one of my favorites, Eric Roberts. How do you choose, uh, how do you get involved with the casting and why do you go back to some of the, uh, to the same actors? And what do you like about these folks that I just mentioned? I did six, I did five or six projects with Eric. I really enjoyed working with him. That was very early on in my, my career. And I, I just, I just loved, loved his take on the world. Uh, one of the, you know, as one of the most, the key parts of being a director, you know, and if you talk to, read anything on John Huston, he said 80% of directing was casting, you know, so you, you take an inherent risk every time you work with a new actor, especially if they are, the leading man or the leading woman or the, the supporting actor. So it's a huge risk to do that. And if you know someone has the capability because you've worked with them and they can do great work and they understand you and there's a shorthand between you that allows you to push, push harder into that, into that realm of, you know, I, I wouldn't have been able to make, you know, Avengement, which was the film that got me repped by Gersh and got, got me international recognition. I would never have been able to make that film had I not worked with Scott Atkins Previously on Debt Collectors, Excellent Man, Triple Threat, uh, Savage Dog, Pit Fighter. Those, you know, these films, I learned, you know, we learned each other's weak, you know, weaknesses and strengths and where he can push me, where I can push him. 
where where I fall short and he offers suggestions where he falls short and I say, careful, you're shouting again, you know, keep it down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, these these sort of things are wonderful. And if you can keep that process going, you keep it going, man. It's, it's, it's a great thing as a, as a, as a, uh, a director. Uh, but then having said that, you, it's also wonderful to have fresh energy come in and you can sometimes work out when you meet the person, but you're never quite sure what they're like for the onset. An interesting thing. Olga Kirilenko, I had the privilege of working with on White Elephant. Uh, very briefly, I had her for about 10 days on that. It was a very challenging role with a lot of dialogue. She was jet lagged. She was coming in from Russia. Uh, on the first day, it was around four o'clock in the afternoon. She looked at me and said, I haven't slept in two days because of the driving. What have you got? What drink or energy drink or coffee concoction have you got that can keep me going? Because I just want to keep doing this and, and do the best job for you possible, Jesse. And this is a this is an international actor, you know, who's, mm. who has no problem working. She has a huge following. Uh, she makes a lot of money, a lot more money than I do on movies. But this is someone coming to me saying, "I'm going to do whatever it takes to give you your performance. Tell me how I can do that." And and this is fantastic. And I realized, you know, she, she's got this blue collar kind of like, just get down to yeah. it, work. Mm. Let's get it done. And Scott has that too. Let's get it done. Let's let's make the movie as best as we possibly can. Uh, and I love that. And when I find people who have that motivation and their motivation is purely to make the best possible film with the best characters in it and, and, and to do the best possible performance on their part, uh, I, I realize I found a, a collaborator, you know, a, a, a willing, a willing uh, co-criminal, you know, and we can get out there. And you, 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 it's at that point, you feel extraordinarily powerful as a director. You feel yeah. like you can take over the world. She's terrific because I don't think... Uh... You know, she was in Quantum of Solace and she was kind of like the pretty the pretty face in that one. But she's really come on as as an actress. She's very good. And because she's so beautiful, I don't think people appreciate her skills that much. I just saw her in a movie, a streaming movie with uh, Don Johnson called High Heat. And she's a Russian who has a she's a chef at a she has her own French restaurant. And she more than held her own, not only with Don Johnson, but in all the action scenes. She was fantastic. And I think yeah. she's going to be a superstar. What's your take? Uh, I did. I I was so impressed with her that I had a project that I've been working on for almost 20 years called Boudicca, which is Boudicca was the uh, uh, English warrior queen, Celtic queen, who mm -hmm. was the first person to join together all of the British tribes uh, to fight against the, the Roman colonists of the time. It was, a, you know, 2,000 years ago. It's an incredible story. Every English schoolboy knows school kid knows it you know we have a statue of Boudicca next to the houses of parliament by big ben uh she was an incredible incredible woman and i had this script and olga came in and played that role and she kills it it's possible i think it's one of the greatest performances ever i think she's she's wonderful in it right. uh, so there's as far as i'm concerned she walks on water i think she's great uh i did i i had her in the cia movie in hungary and she plays a, a, a polish agent from in that one and there's you know firing machine guns and swinging through uh uh, uh, porthole cabins doing an amazing stuff and fighting people. She's she's terrific. You know, uh, quite often she'll come to me and say, "Can I play a role where I don't have to have a scar on my face?" Or she, <laughs> uh, and, and I get to, she says, "Can I get to wear a pretty dress and have my hair done really nicely on this one, Jesse?" And I'm like, "Yeah, we'll try. We'll try and get that one for you." Well, well, speaking uh, of that, Jesse, you've done it all. I'm, we're getting short on time, but I want to ask you a couple of more address. questions. <laughs> but in terms of genres, you are the king of action films now. Is there anything else you'd want to do? Say, hey, you know what? I haven't done a rom-com or this or that. Or are you just using the template of the uh, action film to be able to tell stories in a lot of different ways 
within the context of it being an action film? Uh, the honest answer or the dishonest answer? The dishonest answer <laughs> uh, would be I love making action movies and I love action. I love the genre and I'm, I'm passionate to it. That's why I'm doing it. The, the, the honest answer is I want to tell big, big movies and I don't care about action per se unless it promotes the story. And the only way that I've been able to continue my work in such a regular manner is by directing films that have a high action content because obviously the pedigree of being an ex-stuntman and, and having done a lot of action movies works very well. But I would love to do a picture that didn't have action in and I would go out there and make a drama or a romantic comedy or, or a comedy comedy and do that uh, because the, the challenge for me is not about you know where I put the camera and an explosion. The challenge for me is working with these actors and creating a chemical reaction on screen that goes is powerful enough to go through the screen and affect the audience member watching it, make them either throw their popcorn in the air, cry, laugh, uh, whichever you do, you, you've affected them in a way that they walk away from that movie. They've forgotten all of their troubles. They've forgotten all their stresses, their argument they had with their partner that morning, and they've, they've been transposed somewhere for two hours, and they recommend it to their friends, and, 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 and they watch it at Christmas or, or whatever. You know, this is, this is the height of what we want as, as a director and as a filmmaker. But I love action, and uh, as I say, it, it has put my children through private school. So, there you go. <laughs> For the time being, it is, it is where I, I, I go because I, I love to work as a film director. But you know, that if you look at the careers of directors, people like John Woo was known for his comedy films until right. he made an action film. Right. You know, and they said, "Why is this comedy director becoming an action film director in the West? We only know him as an action film director." There's many, many examples of that. You know, if you if you if you go through people like Billy Wilder or or, or Houston or, or well, not so much Houston because he was always a drama, but 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 other directors who who made a, a career doing a certain type of film and then surprised everyone when they did another. But oh, it, Scorsese or even Woody Allen, right? Yeah, it was entirely those wonderful skills and that skill set that they brought from that other genre that made their outing in the next genre so interesting and so different and so idiosyncratic which is what we all want we all want to feel we've discovered a film for the first time no one wants to watch a film that everyone else has seen first we want to feel you know there's that wonderful feeling you know oh my god i just you know like i get when i watch a lot of these korean pictures like man from nowhere or, yep. mm -hmm. or, or you know uh bittersweet life uh, and and you're like oh boy wow uh how you know i've so upset after seeing bittersweet life that because i just finished shooting a shootout and i'm like I'm so angry. This guy did the shootout that I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's not that's not a bad that's not a bad problem to have, is it? Is it Jesse? No, as long as well, you have something. <laughs> so let me uh, for the audience. The name of the new film, One Ranger. Tell us about where people can find it, um, etc., and anything else you want to mention. Uh, One Ranger is no longer in theaters. It's streaming uh, on multiple platforms through Lionsgate. It's on DVD and Blu-ray. I suggest watching the DVD and Blu-ray because it comes with a phenomenal behind the scenes that's really, really good. It gives a lot of insight into how the film was made, the people that made it, uh, some of the things we went through to make it. And and when you see a picture like this, you're not you're not looking at a a, a movie that's cost the deficit of a small country you are looking at a film that was handcrafted on the budget of the coffee bill from john wick you know the coffee espresso yep. and and there's something interesting about that in the old days you'd go to blockbuster you'd have the choice of the different rack you'd have the cinema you know the movies that were in the you know coming from the from the big uh 
uh, uh, corporate chains, and then you'd have the indie films. And often you'd be drawn to those indie films because of something different, because it spoke to you in a different way from the cover or the cast or the or the or the, or the you know the tagline on the back. We don't have that opportunity anymore. Everything is given to us through you know a, a limited number of, of of streaming services, and and they're all judged accordingly. And and I think that's a sad thing. I think we should we should be able to you know enjoy B movies in the same way that that we enjoy A movies. In the old you know the olden days, the golden days of cinema, you'd have an A release, you'd have the B movie underneath. And a lot of the time, the B movie is better. They were directed by the Peckinpah parts, the Don Siegel's, the Samuel Fuller's, the Bud Bodicas. These guys went on to be fantastic A movie directors. But but it was their B movies that got people interested because they told a story in a way that couldn't be told. So I would say. Go see One Ranger. All right. Active right. in the action making and uh, and enjoy yourself. You know, disappear for two hours. Well, I can see why you're so pro- prolific. You're so full of passion. Your movie making is terrific and it's real. It's authentic and very honest. So congratulations on all your success, Jesse V. Johnson. I hope you'll come back to Guys Guys Radio when you have another film or two or six out because uh, you've been so illuminating in terms of the yourself, your story, and the process of movie making. I think our audience really loves that. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for having me. Great questions. Really enjoyed it, sir. Okay. Jesse V. Johnson. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Wow, what a terrific conversation with one of the top action directors on the beat, Jesse V. Johnson. We talked about his new movie, One Ranger, starring Thomas Jane, about a veteran Texas Ranger who finds himself trying to solve an international terror case over in the UK. And it's a real fun story, and it's got a lot of action, and I think you'll enjoy it, as well as Jesse's other movies. There's a lot of them. You can check a lot of them out on streaming services. I just saw one with Bruce Willis called White Elephant. And again, Jesse has six more in pre-production, and he's worked with some of the top names. He's got uh, a couple of movies with uh, this uh, Russian actress, Olga Mal, uh, excuse me, Olga Korlienko. And uh, Olga is, I think, one of the emerging uh, actresses, actors slash actresses in the business now. So he's got... Uh, Olga for two movies coming out, Aaron Eckhart, um, and so many others. Um, so I think it's worth your time to check out Jesse V. Johnson's films. You'll really enjoy them. And he's a cool guy. And what did we learn from him? I think we learned a couple of things. One, if you have a dream, you want to get behind the camera, you want to be a director, you've got to stick with it and you've got to stay focused. And for Jesse, he started out as a stuntman. He got behind the camera. Then he had to go back out and be a stunt person again. Then he got back behind the camera. So you got to really stick with it. I think the other thing we learned that Hollywood is a financial, it's a money business. It's not just creativity. It's all about the money. You look at all the credits at the beginning of a movie, you see all these different studios and all these different producers, and it's all about the money. And three, you really have to know how to tell a story. You have to know how to manage actors and you know how, need to know how to manage all the other people who have invested in the movie. So being a director is no easy job. So Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening on KCAA Radio here in Southern California at 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 106.5 FM, 10.50 a.m. The show rebroadcasts on KCAA every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. Listen live, download, stream. Um, We're in the top 10% of the shows on KCAA, so I'm thrilled to be working with them. 
Our podcast, YouTube and Rumble, all drop worldwide every Thursday. And we're on UK Health Radio, the world's largest talk health station in the world. It's a digital station. We're on four times every weekend. So there's no excuse for you not to be able to find Guys Guys Radio or what we call Guys Guys TV uh, because we're everywhere. So if you enjoy the guests and the content I bring you each and every week to the show, please subscribe, please follow, please rate, please review, whatever you can do to, uh, to uh, have our back here because we're doing everything we can for you to bring you guests who have some interesting stories and interesting information and maybe information that will help you live your best life. You can also catch more of my content on my website, robertmanny, M-A-N-N-I.com. I've got over 300 blog posts about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, a lot of topics that we cover here on Guys Guys Radio across the, across the spectrum from diet, fitness, spirituality, relationships, masculinity, and things like making, directing movies. How do you direct an action movie? All kinds of information I bring you here on Guys Guys Radio that Hopefully, we'll entertain you and say to yourself, help you say to yourself, hey, that's interesting. I didn't know that. I want to learn more. I'm going to check out this guest's work. Whatever it is, we're here for you here on Guys Guys Radio. I'm also writing for Health Triangle Magazine, which is the digital publication for UK Health Radio. I'm writing a series called Aging is a Choice. It's all about my personal journey into managing my health as I get older. I'm a boomer and I want to take care of myself and I have a 10-year-old son, so it's important for me to uh, do the best for myself and for my family. So if you're interested in that, you can check my website for the blog posts or you could check out the uh, UK Health Magazine's Health Health Triangle Magazine. While you're on my website, you can download three free chapters of my novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, it's been called The Male Successor to Sex in the City. It's a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stake world of Madison Avenue. And it's fast, it's frothy, it's fun, and it's about something. And I think you'll have a lot of fun with it, enjoy it, and you can pick it up on Amazon or wherever you pick up your books. But again, three free chapters on my website. So Guy's Guy's Radio, I'm here for you every week. We've got a lot of great guests coming up. I'm so appreciative of the 750 individuals I've had terrific conversations with for the show. I'm very appreciative of my wonderful producer, Chris, and I'm very appreciative of my wonderful producer and strategy dude, Ryan, and I'm most appreciative and filled with gratitude for you, our growing audience for Guys Guys Radio and Guys Guys TV. Thank you so much. I love doing this for you. I love doing it for me because I'm learning at the same time. So Guys Guys Radio will be back next week. And until then, like I always like to say... Guys, guys, finish first.